So what is it that makes you curious? Last week as we began this series together, uh, we said that perhaps one of the greatest gifts that God has given to me, one of the greatest gifts that God has given to you, to all of us really, um, is our ability to, to think about the future and our ability to be curious. Um, and we said that all of us, that, that we experience this sense of curiosity, um, all of us we experience this through um, some sort of a frame of reference, that it, it's almost as if um, each of us, as we kind of live our lives, that we, that we look out through an imaginary window, you know, trying to understand um, what, what's on the other side as it relates to God, as it relates to our faith, um, as it relates to our families, our, our kids, our, our futures, and, and all those things that as human beings um, that, that we're simply curious about. We also said that the reason why our curiosity grows and, and why that changes over time is because our window, our, our frame of reference, it doesn't always provide us with all of the answers that we're looking for. And so consequently, all of us are limited. We're limited in our ability to see the world as it really is. In fact, this limitation, this is the thing really that drives each of our curiosities. We also said that all of us, as we're growing up and as, we're, as we get older, as we go to school, as we kind of live life in this world, um, all of us are, are raised with a different and a, and a very unique frame of reference. And, and that frame of reference for you, it could have been academic, it could have been moralistic, um, it could have been opportunistic. It could have been a frame of reference that says that, that everything in life happens for a reason, kind of like karma, or that life, in fact, just happens for no reason, like fate. But see, followers of Jesus, right, followers of Jesus have always believed that our Heavenly Father, that He actually loved us so much that He sent someone to our side of the window to live inside our world and to be a point of reference for us. So in spite of all those things that we're curious about, in spite of all those things that we know and all the things that we don't know and all the discoveries that are still yet to be made somewhere out there, in spite of all that, that we could actually know that we could be certain about who our Heavenly Father really is. And so last week we looked at a section of a document, a first century document that, that we know of or that we refer to as the letter of Hebrews or, or the book of Hebrews. And in this document, this first century document, the author is writing this to a group of followers of Jesus living in the first century in very difficult, uh, very uncertain, very unstable times. And so this author says to these followers of Jesus, he says this, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. In other words, Jesus is the one who got all of it started and Jesus is the one who wraps up everything that we need to know about the subject of faith. A different translation translates this verse this way and says that Jesus is the author or the finisher of our faith. That our faith, it begins with and it ends with a person. That, that our faith, really, it begins with and it ends with the person of Jesus. And so that brings us to today. And today, I want to speak to two groups of you who may be watching online with us right now. Maybe you're in the room with us right now. Um, but I want to speak to those of you who would say, first, um, that you were raised with a, a Christian frame of reference, right? You were raised with a Christian um, worldview, but... But as time went on and as you got older and as you had more experiences in life, um, the truth is you just kind of ran into some things, you, you, you bumped into some things um, over time, and, and you kind of felt like, I, I, just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so you felt like you just had to leave. 
Right? And then the other group of you, uh, and again, you might be sitting in the room right now, you may be watching on, online right now, um, maybe um, you, you feel, maybe you serve um, in, in church someplace, maybe you actually attend a, a different church, but, um, but you feel like, like maybe you have to leave, right? Like maybe you're, you're on your way out. And, and see, for you, um, as far as your parents know, right, your parents think that you're in, right, because, because you, you prayed the prayer, Right? You, you bought the book, you went to camp, you bought the t-shirt, right? Your parents think you're in. Your husband thinks you're in and, and you're in for good. Your, your wife thinks that you're in and you're in for good. But see, if anybody else could actually see what's going on in your mind and what's been happening in your heart lately, is you're always asking yourself these questions. And so you're, you're just not really sure how long you can stay in, because you're thinking, okay, I'm not sure that, that I, can, I can do this anymore because my f- experience in life, what I'm experiencing in my life, it just does not line up with, with the faith that I was handed as a child or, or perhaps the, the faith that, that I, was, I, I kind of adopted as a teenager or as a, a young adult or as a college student. And so one of the things that always fascinates me and one of the things that I always find very, very interesting, and, and, and I'll be honest, um, one of the things that I often find um, incredibly heartbreaking are when I hear stories about um, this, about deconversion, right? Deconversion meaning um, someone who, who grew up um, with a Christian frame of reference, but then at some point later on in life they actually walked away from this, generally in college, but not always, but usually it's around somewhere in college. And see, the reason why I'm always fascinated by these stories is because rarely do these stories actually have anything to do with Jesus. But see, they always have something to do with this. They always have something to do with the way in which life kind of passes through the window. The way it is that we see or interpret or experience the events of life or, or the experiences of life or what it is that we observe going on in the world around us. And so many times when I hear um, these kind of stories, oftentimes what, you know, I don't say this out loud usually sometimes, but what I always have kind of going on in my own head, in my own heart, um, is I find myself thinking, but everything that you're saying is true, I understand that, but, but, but that really doesn't have anything to do with Jesus? I mean, that has almost nothing to do with the fact that God sent Jesus into this world um, to, to, to represent God to humanity. And so that always ends up making me uh, a little curious because I, I think to, to myself, and I know this is probably you know, incredibly naive, but I think to myself, um, why would you leave your faith in Jesus over something that really has nothing to do with Jesus? And see, um, and oftentimes it's because, and this is the story that I hear, and maybe this is your story, maybe it's your story as well, but it's just simply that their experiences in in life, they do not line up with, they don't add up with the the version of Christianity or the version of religion uh, that they were raised on. Because see, here's what's true, and I think what all of us could probably um, agree with as being true, right? Every religion Every version of religion, even Christianity, every religion works for children, right? Isn't that true? But then life happens. In fact, maybe for you it began to happen when you were a child, 
Because you, you were taught to view the world a, a certain way, and, and as you got older, what you came to discover is that your parents, they weren't even on the same page. Or perhaps for, for you, you were actually raised in, in an amazing home, in an almost perfect home. And, and as you got older and you got outside of your perfect home, what you began to discover is that the world that you were a part of, it just didn't line up with your perfect belief system and, and your perfect home. Or, or perhaps for you, it began when you went to school. It was in high school or when you were in college, maybe in graduate school, maybe in law school or, or med school even, and you began to learn things that you had never been taught before. You began to discover things that you, that you never knew before. And see, here's something that all of us, I think, would agree that this is true um, and that, in fact, we should not deny, right? For all of us, our education becomes um, a window, right, through which we view and interpret and understand um, the circumstances and the experiences of life. Isn't that true? Or, or maybe for you, it was, it was your, um, your religious experience, right? Maybe for you, it was that growing up experience. Maybe it was in church. Maybe it was in a different religion. Maybe it was outside of church. Um, for many of us, the truth is um, that experience began when we were very young and we began to learn to see the world um, through that filter very early. And so maybe for you, you had an extraordinary experience when it comes to this, but maybe for others of you, um, maybe it was a very difficult one. Maybe it was a very legalistic one. In fact, maybe um, because you weren't perfect, you kind of felt like you were be to being told that you had to leave, that you couldn't stay. And, and again, whatever kind of a religious experience that we had growing up, um, whether we stayed with it or whether we walked away from it, whether it was a positive one or, or a negative one, right, it impacts all of us, doesn't it? Or see, the truth is, maybe for you, uh, maybe for you, your it doesn't have anything to do with any of those things out there. Maybe for you, um, the situation is actually right here. Maybe for you, it's actually right here because it's you. It's, it's your past. You messed up. And you genuinely have things in your past that you every day hope and pray that people will not figure out that people will not discover. You have regret, right? We, we all do. But now those things in your past that you wish you could go back and undo or change somehow, they are a permanent part of your story just like they are a permanent part of, of mine. Or perhaps it was the day that you got the, the worst news of your life. He didn't want to be married anymore. She didn't want to be married anymore. You found out it was terminal. They walked you into a conference room. They gave you the bad news. They took your key card, and then a security guard followed you back to your desk and watched as you packed up your belongings, and they escorted you out of the building. Or perhaps for you, it's fear. And you don't know where the fear and you don't know where the anxiety comes from. You just know that you have more fear and more anxiety than the average person. And you know it's not rational. You know it's not logical. But it is so deep. And in fact, it is the thing that keeps you from going. It is the thing that keeps you from showing up. It is the thing that actually keeps you from, from, from living your life. And see, we're all adults here, and so hopefully we can all acknowledge this. Um, as adults, every single one of us, we, we want to think. We, we want to think that we're actually bigger 
than all of these things, right? Isn't that true? That, that we want to convince ourselves that because we're adults now and these things happened way, way back then, um, even though these things are true for all of us to some extent, that, that we, we, we've gotten to learn to, to get past them, that we've learned how to kind of see through them and not have it impact how we view the future, how we view God, how we view our family, our relationships, how we even view or think about love. That somehow these things don't really impact or affect us. But that's not true. Right? Your, your frame of reference is your frame of reference. In fact, isn't it true that oftentimes, even though when we look in the mirror, we cannot see the results of these things, isn't it true that when we look at the life of somebody else, that so many times it's so easy to see these things in another person? That when we actually learn how to view a person through their own experience and through their window, through their frame of reference, isn't it true that their experiences make sense to us, their responses, they make sense to us? And come on, we're adults. If that's true of them, then that must also be true of me, right? That must be true of you. And see, here's what's so amazing about this. When Jesus, right, when, when Jesus came into this world, when, when Jesus showed up on our planet, the very same thing was true about his first century followers. All of them had windows that were imperfect. All of them had been marked and marred and impacted um, by, um, by a worldview, by a first century frame of reference. Things like if you're sick, then that means that God's punishing you, right? That's what they believed. And if you're healthy, it's because God loves you, right? That if you're, um, if you're wealthy, then that's because God loves you, because God loves the wealthy people. That's what they believed. That if you were poor, or if you were sick, or if you had an illness, or if you're one of your children perhaps were sick, or had an illness that God was angry at you, that he was punishing you, that is how they viewed the world, and so ultimately, God ended up doing for them what he did for every single one of us. He, he sent someone to stand with us on our side of the window to be our point of reference. This is what Christmas is really all about. And then at the very end of Jesus' life, Right, Jesus gathers his disciples together. He tells his disciples that, that he wants to celebrate the Passover with them. And this wasn't surprising to them because they had done this with Jesus a, a number of different times. But what was so unique about this Passover is that this would end up being their last Passover. They had no idea that after this Passover, just a couple hours later, Jesus would end up being arrested and tried and crucified. And during this final Passover, it's the Apostle John who, who records all the details that take place for us. He tells us that this event, it takes place in an upper room. He tells us that it's late at night. He tells us that they actually chose a location that, that nobody else really knew exactly where it was because Jesus was, in fact, a wanted man at this point, And so they wanted to be somewhat secret. And while they're celebrating this Passover together, Jesus looks at his, at his friends, at his closest friends, and he gives them the absolute worst news possible. He looks at them and says, I just want to give you a heads up. I'm leaving. And see, they took that to mean, like, I'm going to go out for a little bit, um, and then I'll be back later. 
right? And so Peter, um, he's kind of the spokesman for all the disciples. Peter speaks up and he says to Jesus, he says, hey, Jesus, um, where are you going? And Jesus responds to Peter and he says, you know, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later? And Peter's confused and he says, Lord, why? Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? Lord, I, I, will, I will lay down my life for you. And see, here's what Peter is probably thinking at this point. He's probably thinking, okay, if I stay here, I'm just going to end up laying down my life anyway, right? Because Jesus, maybe you don't understand this fully, um, but the, they're just going to come, if you leave, they're just going to come and arrest us because the crowd follows you, the crowd doesn't follow us. And so if you're gone, they're just going to all come in and arrest us. Or maybe Peter is thinking that, that Jesus is going to go sneak off someplace and he's going to declare himself to be the, the Messiah. Or maybe Peter's thinking that there's going to be a confrontation with the Romans or a confrontation with the religious leaders. And so um, Peter just wants Jesus to know, listen, Jesus, wherever you go, um, you just need to know you can count on me. Jesus, I will stand with you no matter what. And, and see, you know what Peter is doing right now? He's doing the very same thing that, that all of us do, right? He, he's looking through the window of his own experiences in life, his own insecurities, his own fears, what he was taught that the Savior would be like, and his experiences and disappointments of life in this world. And when Jesus responds to Peter, um, I don't think Jesus is in any way upset at all in this moment. In fact, I think, um, I think Peter, I think Jesus probably smiles at, at Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, will you really? Will you really um, lay down your life for me? Perhaps Jesus even puts his hand on, on Peter's shoulder and says, No. No, no, Peter, uh, no, you won't. I, uh, Peter, I tell you the truth, that before the rooster crows, in other words, before the sun is even fully up, Peter, not only will you not stand with me, Peter, no, you're actually going to disown me three times. And, and see, this is so um, disturbing to Peter because this just does not line up with his experiences and what he's been taught. And what happens next, most of us, even if we're familiar with the story, even if we're used to reading the Bible, the truth is most of us miss this, and you've heard me say this before, because when John originally wrote these words, there were no verse numbers, there were no chapter numbers, there were no headings, and those things, as useful as they are, they sometimes cause us in our mind to disconnect events that actually took place right next to each other. And so Jesus... Immediately after telling Peter um, and telling the rest of his disciples this very troubling and this very disturbing news, news that, that Peter is, is going to not only not stand up for him but disown him publicly three times after telling um, the, all the disciples that he's leaving and they can't go with him, a after looking into the eyes of this group of people who he loves so much, he, he, Jesus looks at them and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
And then what Jesus says next, probably all of us have heard at some point in our life, but maybe we didn't realize that the context in which Jesus says this. Because Peter, Jesus looks at all of them and he says to them, um, you trust in God, right? And I was like, well, sh- of course we do. Of course we do, Jesus. Well, then just trust me also? To, to which they're like, okay, hang on. T- t- time out, Jesus. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus, listen. Telling us about God, right, that's one thing, right? But, but claiming equality with God? Jesus, that is entirely, entirely different. Telling us about God, explaining God to us, Jesus, that's actually what we want you to do. We, we want you to explain God to us. We want you to tell us about what God is like. But claiming equality with God, I mean, being in the room with us and saying, hey, look at me, look at me. You believe in God, right? Well, listen, you can believe in me the very same way that you believe in God. Jesus, we, we can't do that. Jesus, did you realize that's blasphemous? Je- Jesus, do you understand that that's the kind of thing that is always getting you in trouble when you say stuff like that? And then what Jesus says next is so incredibly familiar. But again, many of us, we we just miss the context of this completely because Jesus looks at all of them and he says to them, in my Father's house. And see, his disciples knew that whenever Jesus uses the word Father, what he meant was God. And so God's house. And every single Jewish man and and woman listening to the phrase God's house, you you know what they would immediately think of? They would think of the temple. In fact, maybe if you were raised the way I was raised, maybe when you hear that phrase, you, you, think, of, you think of the church. And Jesus just looks at them and he says, In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. To which it's like, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, what are we even talking about right now? But Jesus just keeps on going, and he says to them, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And see, now they're thinking, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. If you're going to your father's house, that sounds an awful lot like you're leaving this world. And and Jesus, that sounds like you're talking about death. And then you're going to come back and you're going to take us? Jesus, I don't even think that we want to go with you anymore. And then Jesus just looks at them and he says, listen, you know. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And, And they're like, okay, Jesus, we don't know the way. We don't know why you're going to wherever it is that you're going. And Jesus, we have no idea on how we're even supposed to get to whatever it is that that you're talking about at this point. They're they're just so completely confused. And Thomas, he hears all this, right? Thomas is listening to this whole conversation, and he can't keep his mouth shut any longer. And so Thomas, he just kind of blurts out, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. So how in the world can we know the way? And then Jesus makes an incredible statement. In fact, if you are not a follower of Jesus, what Jesus says next may be the reason why. 
Because oftentimes these next words of Jesus are used in a way to try to exclude people or stiff-arm people. But when you read these next words of Jesus in, in this incredible context, Jesus is making it incredibly clear. Right? He, Jesus is making it incredibly clear that Jesus is not trying to keep anybody out. No, Jesus is making the case, listen, I've actually come to your side of the window. Right? Why do you think I'm here? And so Thomas says to Jesus, just show us the way. Jesus, if you just show us the path, we'll get on that path and we'll be there whenever you want us to be there. But Jesus just looks at him and he smiles and he says, I am the way. It's not out there somewhere. You don't have to go and figure this out. You don't have to try to discover this on on your own. No, I am the way. You're looking at the way. And truth? You're looking at as much truth about who God is as you will ever be able to handle on this side of eternity. You don't have to look out there somewhere to discover truth because it's standing right in front of you. And the reason I'm here is to give you eternal life. And then don't miss this because just a couple of chapters later, Jesus goes on and he defines what eternal life is. Right? Because many of us, most of us probably, we think um, that eternal life is something that starts once you die. But Jesus says no. No, that's not what eternal life is. Jesus says, listen, this is what eternal life is. This is what I've actually come to offer you, that you may know the Father and the one he has sent, that you may know his Son, that on this side of the window, that this is life. And see, this doesn't take away all of our curiosities, And this doesn't take away all of the mysteries of life, but this does address our primary curiosity and it does remove a very, very important mystery, which is, what is God like? And does God like me? Jesus continues and he says, listen, no one comes to the Father except through me, right? And again, many times these words, um, this is not Jesus trying to keep people from God, right? Jesus has just finished explaining to a room full of people that he is God. But his point is, listen, instead of you trying to, to stumble around out there and try to figure out what's on the other side of the window, trying to kind of grope around in the dark to discover what's there, Jesus is saying, listen, you don't need to do that. Because this invitation, my invitation is open to every single person, regardless of what they know, regardless of what they don't know, regardless of their past, regardless even of what their prior experience with God was, regardless of their own fear, regardless of their insecurities. This is a statement of equality, not of exclusion. Jesus is saying, this, listen, everybody is welcome and everybody gets in the very same way because, listen, if you really know me, 
you will know. You will know my Father in heaven as well. Jesus, are you really saying that to know you is to know God? Yes. Yes. That is exactly what I'm saying. In fact, from now on, you do know him. And you have seen him. And, and so Philip, he's, he's hearing all of this. He's hearing this whole conversation. Philip's in the room, and he just cannot put this together in his mind. And so he's thinking to himself, okay, wait, Peter, you and I have talked about this before. I know you're with me on this. And, and Matthew, I know that you would agree with this. And even John, I, I know that you would agree with this. Guys, isn't it true? Um, Jesus, this is what we really want. Like, Jesus, this is, this is what you, we really want from you right now. Isn't it true, guys? We just want you, Jesus, to show us the Father. We, we just want to see God. Right, Jesus, I'm sure everything that you just said is really important, and I'm sure it's all true, but, but we're just simple fishermen. Jesus, we just want to know what God is like. And if God likes us, so Jesus, just show us the Father. And see, what Jesus says next to his disciples it is so amazing because he looks right at Philip and he says to Philip, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I have been among you for such a long time? Philip, Quit looking out there somewhere. Look right here. I'm in the room with you. I am here with you. You don't need to look out there someplace, Philip. I am right here. Your heavenly Father wants you to know. Your heavenly Father wants you to see. That is why He sent me. So that even though in all the curiosities and the uncertainty of life, even all those things that we have yet to discover, even when it comes to living in a world that's just filled with questions, your Heavenly Father wanted this to be clear, and so He sent a person. He sent His Son to our side of the window to be our point of reference. And what Jesus says next is absolutely incredible. In fact, this is the part that unless you actually pick this up and you read this for yourself, you miss this because this is the part that nobody else talks about. You never hear about what Jesus says next. Because Jesus looks at this room full of people and he looks at them and he says, because he is so compassionate, Right? And because Jesus actually wants to be known, in fact, he wants to be known for who he's here to make known, Jesus looks at this room full of people and he says to them, believe me. Believe me. Everything else is secondary. Everybody else is secondary. Believe me. When I tell you, 
that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. And then this is the part that nobody talks about. But if you can't believe me, Jesus says, I get it. I've actually said some pretty unbelievable things. And see, I'm not asking anybody to sacrifice their mind to follow me. And I'm not asking you to have faith in faith. I'm not asking you to believe in belief. Believe me, Jesus says. But if not, I get it. I understand. At least, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See, let me tell you why this statement is so incredibly important, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap all this up. Every scholar, every modern scholar who studies this period of ancient history, all of them agree that Jesus was, in fact, an actual living human being. Every scholar, atheist or religious, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, all of them agree that Jesus was, in fact, an actual historical person, that Jesus of Nazareth was a real, living, breathing human being who lived in the first century in this region and who was crucified. Every single one of them agree with that. They also all agree and they all acknowledge on the fact that the church started by Jesus' first century followers within just a couple of weeks maybe at best a couple of months after Jesus' crucifixion. And so here's the question, really, that is a mystery, right? Here's the question that you've got to wrestle to the ground. This is the question that should make you so incredibly curious. Why in the world does uh, this group of scared and confused men actually write themselves into the story as being scared and confused? Why is it that this group of men, right, who, who get so confused so easily and who are never able to figure out what's actually going on, why is it that over and over and over again they acknowledge that they have no clue what's actually happening? Why in the world does this confused group of people who can't seem to figure it out write themselves into the story as scared and confused? Why is it that after Jesus dies, the most shameful death imaginable, why is it that they take to the streets led by Peter, Right? Peter, who was so fearful and afraid that Peter, as a 30-something-year-old man, he won't even acknowledge that he knows Jesus to a middle school girl. Why in the world does this group of followers of Jesus walk down the very same streets where Jesus was publicly tried, crucified, and executed, and publicly proclaim all of a sudden that Jesus was in fact the Son of God, that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, that the Jewish people have been waiting for all, all along? See, it was not what Jesus taught. It was not um, even the, the little speech that he gave them in the upper room that night. It was because of the resurrection. It was because of the evidence. Their faith was reborn when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, and their faith was reborn based on the evidence of the works themselves. When they saw Jesus alive, they fixed their eyes on him and they never took them off and they changed the world. 
And see, Jesus' point, right, to, to all of this, and the, the point um, simply I, I want to leave you with. In fact, um, if you left, um, th- this is the point um, that I want to leave with you. If you're thinking about leaving, th- this is the point that I want you to consider before you leave. And if you're sitting there today or if you're watching at home right now and you've never felt like you were on the inside, you always felt like you were on the outside of following Jesus because there are just so many unanswered questions, because there are just so many, you have just so much, there's so much mystery for you, there's so much curiosity for you. Here's what I want you to consider. This is what Jesus is saying to us. If you look past me, if you stop short of me, If you take your eyes off of me, you will miss God. Because I am as close as you will ever come on this side of eternity of knowing what God is really like. And so if you're curious, Jesus is saying, I want you to fix your eyes on me. Because, see, here's the truth, right? We will always be curious. But in the days of Caesar Augustus, God sent his son into this world to be the light of the world so that we could see, so so that we could know him, and so that we could know God. And see, I do not want you to leave here today. I do not want you to stop watching today without giving you the opportunity to invite or to re-invite the person of Jesus back into your life. Because see, for somebody here today or for somebody watching today, my guess is is that um, this is probably the first time that you actually understood why. Why it is that Jesus came into this world. Why it is that Jesus was born, why it is that ultimately Jesus would have to die. And so in just a moment, I'm going to give all of you the opportunity, all of you at home, the opportunity to actually pray with me. Or maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching today, and your story is kind of like Peter's story. Because at one point you grew up believing one thing, but then you walked away from Jesus But see, now you're back. And you want Jesus back in your life. And so as we close, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this to yourself silently. You can pray it quietly to yourself. Um, You can use my words. You can change these words if you'd like. But I just want to invite you to re-invite Jesus back into your frame of reference. So I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that you sent him to earth to show me what you're really like, to show me that not only do you like me, but that you love me. Father, I believe that when Jesus died, he died for me. And Jesus, I want to follow you. And I have a lot of questions. 
And so would you please lead me and be the light of my life? Jesus, come. Jesus, come into my life and into our world.